This film is Lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. Tim Burton adapts one of America's most treasured horror stories. And it turns out pretty much exactly how you'd imagine. It's Sleepy Hollow, and this film is lit. So before we get started, I just want to plug our partner for this episode, Stories of Your and Yours, or SYY Podcast. Uh, host Sean Ennis does fantastic read-alouds of short stories, and he just so happens to be doing The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. We didn't Hollow. plan this at all. We did not. Not at all. It was just kismet. Yeah. Um, so his episode will be available on October 31st. Um, so if you listen to ours and it interests you, you go listen to his. He'll, he And that, to expand on that, he actually is going to read the whole Story yes. a Legend of Sleepy Hollow Aloud, and it's it's like a musical radio play where there's sound effects and music. Mm-hmm. It's cool. And to that end, you could also save hours for after you listen to his you episode to. if you want to hear the short story first. But between us and stories of your and yours, you guys are getting the whole enchilada this time. Yep. So let's get into our first segment. Again, just real quick to kind of briefly, if you've been here for Harry Potter... Uh, This is more along the lines of what the podcast premise normally is with these segments. So when you're getting into all these segments, this is traditionally what you'll be getting. Our Harry Potter ones are special and slightly different. And we've had a lot of listeners that are here for Harry Potter. They've been getting a lot of downloads. And I hope and and it seems like people are enjoying them. But yes, our our main episodes, our normal episodes are a little little different. Uh, I have not watched the movie or I've not read the book in this instance, the story of Mm -hmm. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow that the film Sleepy Hollow from 1999 is based on. I'm going to be coming at it from the angle of the movie making. Katie's going to be representing the story and kind of the compare and contrasting of the two. And then we have some other fun segments that we do coming up here, some guessing games and that sort of thing. So, yeah, strap in if you haven't been here for a normal episode. That's what you're about to get. So we start with our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. There is too much. Let me sum up. For this segment, I leave for Katie's uh, summation so I don't get anything ruined for later on in the podcast because I'm going to ask questions and that sort of thing. So we don't want to give anything away. So I leave for this part and then I'll come back and do my summation of the film. Katie's doing the summation of the short story. So, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. Ichabod Crane has recently arrived in the small town of Sleepy Hollow to be their new school teacher. He quickly falls head over heels for Katrina Van Tassel, the beautiful daughter of the richest man in town. However, local big man about town, Brom Bones, has also set his sights on Katrina. 
Ichabod is a superstitious and skittish man, so when Brom weaves a horrifying tale about a local spook, the Headless Horseman, Ichabod has a hard time shaking it from his mind. And on his way home, one dark, gloomy night, Ichabod has a bone-chilling run-in with that very monster. Or so it seems. All right, so that's the summary of the short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Obviously, there are spoilers abound throughout the podcast, but it kind of goes without saying in this instance. Let me sum up Sleepy Hollow, the film. After a series of decapitations in the small town of Sleepy Hollow, Constable Ichabod Crane is transferred from New York City up to the hamlet, up to this small hamlet to investigate the murders. As his investigation unfolds, he unearths a web of lies and deception. The eternally skeptical Crane also discovers that magic and undead horsemen actually exist, flipping his worldview on end. His detective work ultimately leads him to pin the crimes on Katrina Van Tassel, daughter of the town's wealthiest businessman, and Crane's love interest. But as he leaves town, he realizes he made a grave mistake, and the true villain is in fact Katrina's stepmother, leading to a raucous final showdown between man, witch, and headless horseman. Kind of is the story that <laughs> goes on. So that's, uh, that's the book and the movie. Let's get into our first game. Guess who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right, so we have three character descriptions. Okay. Um, so what this is, is I will read character descriptions from the original text, and Brian, based on only his movie knowledge, yes. will try to guess who those characters are. Which character are. it is, translated over. Yeah. All right. He was tall, but exceedingly lank, with narrow shoulders, long arms and legs, hands that dangled a mile out of his sleeves, feet that might have served for shovels and his whole frame hung loosely together. His head was small and flat at top, with huge ears, large green glassy eyes, and a long snipe nose, so that it looked like a weathercock perched on his spindle neck to tell which way the wind blew. Okay, one thing I do know from our prequel episode where we discussed the fact that uh, Johnny Depp offered to wear prosthetics to make himself more attractive is that Ichabod Crane is not traditionally a handsome character. They went away from that in the film, but this is not a particularly flattering description of a character. So my first inclination would be, because I'm assuming one of these is going to be Ichabod Crane, but I could be wrong. Uh, so that would be my first inclination would be Ichabod Crane. I, also, the lanky seems to strike right from, I, I think I mentioned, I think I've read this year, when like eighth grade or something. Yeah. I don't remember anything about it, but... That seems to strike right of my memory of sort of him being like a lanky kind of gangly guy. I'm trying to think from the movie what other characters that could be and nothing is sticking out to me because I have a feeling a lot of the characters from the movie aren't in the story. Uh, I'm trying to so I'm trying to think of like main characters from the movie that I think might be crossover. And uh, the only other character I can think of would be if if the horseman mythology is similar it could be the horseman himself but that doesn't i don't know i'm gonna go with that's ichabod crane it is ichabod crane okay i was really hoping you were gonna guess the horseman since i, I specifically read a description of the head oh but. yeah well i meant <laughs> sorry when i said the horseman i meant because in the movie we get his backstory right, and right, we right. see him before he loses his head and so that's what i was thinking potentially 
She was a blooming lass of fresh 18, plump as a partridge, ripe and melting and rosy-cheeked as one of her father's peaches, and universally famed, not merely for her beauty, but her vast expectations. She was withal a little of a coquette, as might be perceived even in her dress, which was a mixture of ancient and modern fashions, as most suited to set off her charms. Well, uh, this, is, this seems pretty easy. Uh, I believe this would be Katrina Von Tassel, but I'm going to say uh, on top of that, authors should stop using the word ripe to describe women. It's fucking gross. <laughs> anyway, I would have to agree with you on that. It is Katrina. We had a similar thing in our uh, yes, Christmas Carol episode. I don't remember what it was, but it was the same. It was type something of thing. weird. Yeah, it's, I think it's an, an older. Yeah. Like that, uh, what is this, 18th century or seven, 19th, 19th century, early 19th century? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's that, I get it. I mean, I, it, it's, yeah, it's I'm not saying people, yeah, that's it's, the thing. Most authors probably don't anymore. Yeah, but. There, there's, a, there's a context to it, right? There's a historical context yes. to it, but yeah, it's still it, gross. And also in this particular instance, it's at least slightly, I could see it as a stylistic choice in the sense that her dad's a peach farmer or something so there's like a mm -hmm. something there that's but it's still fucking gross <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah at the comparisons to um livestock and like farm anytime it's, it's not, anytime it's things things are ripe uh, people aren't you know what i mean like that yeah. it's a very objectifying yes, uh, it is. descriptor it, it is, is i guess part of it yes and, and yes and it's something that you claim as well like ripe fruit you pluck it it's just mm -hmm. a lot of gross connotations that, and i'm sure all of those were sort of meant and inherent in the use of that description yeah it's probably sort of baked into it's the probably not misogyny accidental. of the time no yeah anyways yeah just gross anyway but yeah two for two all right all right all right so here's our last one he was broad-shouldered and double-jointed with short curly black hair and a bluff but not unpleasant countenance, having a mingled air of fun and arrogance. Well, okay, so one other character we know that would be in the story, at least probably, because he's mentioned, would be Katrina's father, uh, Baltus. Um, he has, we, we don't ever, do we even see him without a wig in the movie? I guess we do, I don't remember. Because uh, he wears like a white wig. She say sh curly black hair? Short, yeah, curly short black curly hair, black hair. Broad-shouldered and... Arrogance and something what? He was broad-shouldered and double-jointed, with short curly black hair, and a bluff but not unpleasant countenance. What is that? Countenance? Do you know? Countenance, um, like your demeanor. Oh, okay. Uh, having a mingled air of fun and arrogance. That doesn't really strike me as Baltus, um, but I can't come up with a better character who I think it would be that would be in the story. The only other person I can think of that it might be, oh, you know who it could be and who would probably be in the story would be Casper Van Dien's character, who I don't remember the name of, um, like the other love interest of Katrina Von Tassel. Mm -hmm. He may be in the story. I could see that. And the arrogance thing kind of makes sense with him. I'm, I'm actually going to go with that. I'm going to go with I don't know his name, but Casper Van Dien's character. Okay, I think you're thinking of the right person. It's Brom Bones. It is Brom, yes, Brom, yeah. yes. Woo! 
Yeah, Brom. That was it. <laughs> I kept. I, I knew it was a B, but I, all I could think of was Baltus. But yes, I thought Brom. Maybe it that is was Brom. the one you were gonna get wrong. No, I, well, I was. I was gonna go with because I was like, ah, who else might be in there? But then the arrogance, because that's like the most defining characteristic of mm-hmm. the character in the movie, is he's sort of like the yeah. handsome guy, like cool guy in the village, like <laughs> yeah. he's courting the the. The head, the yeah, main, the hot, rich, the, the girl. hot rich girl, yeah. So like that kind of made sense. Well, three for three. That was the toughest one, and like I said, I almost got it wrong, but I nailed it. Maybe you went three for three as well. Hopefully, you played along. Let's move on to was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So was that in the book? Is our segment that's uh, where I have questions. This is kind of like Muggle questions during a Harry Potter series where Trevor asks us questions about the books or about the movies slash books. Uh, but this is my questions for Katie uh, based on things as I'm watching the film. A lot of times it's things I'll, I'll kind of have a feeling aren't in the movie because they feel like movie ads. But mm-hmm. other times it's things I'm legitimately not sure about. So let's uh, let's go on to my first one. Is Ichabod Crane... A detective slash constable. He's a constable, but like he's kind of like a detective yeah, yeah, he's, in the yeah. film. Is that what he is in the movie? Uh, no. Or sorry, in the book? In no. the book, he is uh, the school teacher. Uh, okay, that actually Gala. rings in my head now. Again, yeah. there's probably little things banging around in there, but I don't <laughs> remember any of them. But yeah, school teacher does, now that you say that, go, yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Like if you give me multiple choice of like school teacher, constable, doctor, I would have went, I might have went with doctor, but I think I would have went with school teacher. All right, so he's not. Um, So then he clearly doesn't get sent to Sleepy Hollow to investigate the murders, which was my next question. I thought that Crane just lived in Sleepy Hollow. Um, Or does he not? Does he just is is Ichabod Crane from Sleepy Hollow or live in Sleepy Hollow when the story takes place, or does he get sent? He's new to Sleepy Hollow. Okay, so there is that element. Yeah. So he like when the story opens up, he's like just recently moved there. Okay, that at least makes sense. Then I I could see in the movie why you'd want to show the process of him arriving, kind of sort of that outsider perspective. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. kind of outsider arriving in a new place. Uh, well, then this is clearly, since he's not a constable slash detective, uh, my next question was, does Ichabod Crane use magical chemicals to determine how people died? The answer to that is no. <laughs> does anybody? <laughs> no. That was like a really weird... And what was that? Was my it, follow-up. It was so weird, because they tried to make him like a man of reason and science. Yes, but then he does... But then like none of his equipment makes any sense. Yes. I was very confused by this. When he gets to the first the first crime that happens after he gets into town, uh, where somebody gets yeah. decapitated, he goes and they're investigating the, the murder scene, and he pulls out his bag of... of- of chem chemicals and whatnot. And, yeah, and like, like his forensics bag, His forensics basically. kit, essentially. And he he drops like three things, like three, dr- or he sprinkles a bunch of powder yeah. near the head. And of, it like poofs it up poofs, And then he goes, ah, it was done in one stroke or something like yeah. that. And I'm like, that doesn't. Well, here's the thing what? that kind of puzzled me. And maybe it's just because this is a Tim Burton yeah. joint. Um, like, it's not like this is set in the Middle Ages. Why not just use or, like, base it on, like, actual forensic tools from that time period? Yeah, and and, and so the idea is that in the movie is a little bit that Ichabod Crane is sort of like this, uh, he's, like, on the forefront of, of trying to find new cutting-edge ways to, like, investigate crimes. Yeah. And I actually couldn't tell if this was just him bullshitting 
I thought that honestly might have been the case that he made a very reasonable assumption based on what he knew from looking at it, yeah. but sort of like did this like sleight of hand to like to like to impress like people, the, yeah. the, the the people standing to make around. Them feel like he knew. Oh, look doing. at that! He dumped some chemicals and it made a thing, and now he knows how. Like because what he says yeah. is pretty obvious that the person's yeah. head got cut off in one blow. Like I think that's what he says or something like that. I mean, and so I just thought it was very strange. Possibly, but the movie doesn't make that very clear. No, no. I, yeah, I agree. And so I was like, well, is he is he bullshitting? And because there's that whole element, yeah, of his. But then also in the movie, it's weird because magic is real. Right. So he could be doing some sort of actual, like, like that could, yeah. in the universe of this film, it could just be that somehow there's this chemical that tells you something when you sprinkle it on the ground near a body. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. The rules of the universe aren't particularly clear. Not very well defined. Yeah. No. Um. But yeah, I, okay. And I figured not. Because like I said, I the, the thing with the him not, I didn't think he was the detective slash constable so i was like sure he's probably probably doesn't do this but i had to check does he have weird markings on his hand in the book no that's an interesting backstory that i felt like wasn't fully explored in the film yeah but uh we can talk about it uh in the film he has a bunch of dots on the palms of his hands and Mm -hmm. we're and we're kind of shown them at one point and we don't know where they came from then eventually a few scenes later we realize he they're scars from when he was a child and his mother and this I, I had to just parse this all to put this all together mm-hmm. kind of from inference. His mother was his dad was sort of an abusive asshole and maybe like the town like judge or something. Something like that. And it, Johnny Depp Ichabod Crane's mom was basically like the at, at the heart of a witch hunt. Yeah. Basically like her father. And now I don't know if. I'd have to watch it again a little more closely to see if it was implied that she was actually doing some sort of witchcraft or if it was well, merely... she was, like, drawing sigils. Yeah, like, drawing stuff in the yeah, dirt. Yeah, in the dirt, which is what got her accused of witchcraft. Yes. And then the dad, like, shuts her in an Iron, an Iron Maiden. Maiden. And Johnny Depp, as a little kid, stumbles across it, and it's he gets scared and stumbles into a... Because his mom's face comes out, of the, or, like, through the little slot. And then he stumbles and gets his hands on, like, another torture device, and that's what he gets the scars yeah. from. Interesting backstory to yeah. give him um, that doesn't really inform a lot about... Uh, what it does inform, I'll give the movie this, is it, it informs his his the character to the extent that he's very much, like I said, he wants to, there's a little bit at the beginning of this film about like sort of like going off on this weird uh, side plot about like so, uh, criminal justice reform. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just sort of abandoned. Like he mm-hmm. wants to like make sure we're getting actually guilty people kind of mm-hmm. is what's set up in the first like scene of the film. But then we never really... Yeah, they never, never really, really come back on that in any that. way, uh, other than he ultimately get the, has the wrong person, he thinks, and then kind of yeah. comes to the realization that he had the wrong person, and, and oh no. But yeah, it's very very interesting to give him all that backstory, so I, I assume we just don't get any of his backstory in, this, in the in no. the book. No, I mean, not, not really. No, well, in, in terms of like his childhood or anything. No. Yeah. Okay. So no no scars on his hands. Uh, are there witches in this book? There are not. Okay. <laughs> there are several in the movie, um, which was interesting. Yeah. It, what's interesting though is that um, in our prequel episode, I offhand mentioned uh, Cotton Mather. Yeah. And his um, witchcraft writings. 
I, he I, did a, a lot of like the court documents from like witch hunts, like actual early, or like yeah. or like oh yeah. okay, huh? Um, and in the short story, Ichabod Crane is like a super huge fan. Oh, like he reads them all the time. Like he loves reading Cotton Mather. <laughs> like, Interesting. That's, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, because yeah, it, <laughs> in this one, his his mother is accused of witchcraft, and and now whether or not she actually did any sort of witchcraft is kind of up in the air uh my assumption is not really but uh and then but we're we are introduced to two other characters ultimately who these two sisters who are witches of Mm -hmm. some sort and and katrina von tassel even herself does at least i don't know if it works or if it because it's it's sort of interesting this movie kind of plays it a little like loose with whether or not the magic is real, but it is to some extent because the headless horseman is a thing that exists. Right. Um, but like uh, he eventually Johnny Depp runs into a witch in the woods who uh, in like a cave mm-hmm. who does some stuff with a bat and blood and whatnot and eventually and shows gives him like a vision. Right. Doesn't he? Yeah, it's. A place, again, where the the rules of the universe aren't, like, super clearly defined. Yeah. Where, like, we have those two characters who are very clearly doing, like, actual yeah. real magic. Yes, because she, like, summons the... Yeah. The, the, uh, the one who ultimately is the stepmother of Katrina Von Tassel. Right. Uh, summons the Headless Horseman by doing some stuff and, and yeah. getting his skull, for one, but then also doing some sort of incantation that basically... Yeah, and then we have the other witch in the woods who Who's does, her sister, yeah, who's we her find sister out, ultimately. Does, does witchy things. Like, like yeah, sort of traditionally witchy yeah. things. And then we have, like, his mother and Katrina... Who the movie shows, like doing? She doing, draws like, like she draws stuff on the floor, like chalk lines, and not lines, but like chalk. She has she draws like a like a pentagram, yes. and and her her his mom draws um, symbols in the dust yeah. by the fireplace. Yeah, but we don't ever have any evidence that, that those that do anything. Works. Yeah. yeah, that that does anything. Yeah, because she especially because the one time she Katrina von Tassel does it in the church, her father immediately dies, and I mm-hmm. the assumption were to get I think is that she was doing that to protect the church because we find out ultimately it's like a protection spell. Yeah. But immediately her father gets killed afterwards, so it didn't seem to work. And maybe, (laughs) I mean, maybe the distinction we're supposed to draw is like white magic and dark magic. I don't know. Maybe maybe the it it does work to some extent, but the headless horseman is just more powerful, or I who knows. But okay, so no witches in the story, Mm -mm. um, just the horseman. Just the horseman. Is the, is the horseman the only magical element of the story? There are um, other magical elements discussed. Okay. Like they talk about like ghosts and hobgoblins. Right, but we don't ever see any of that stuff in the story necessarily. Okay, but we're so. But it is implied that those things maybe do actually exist in the universe of the, or they just mention them. They talk about them. Okay, so we don't know for sure. I I would be uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did exist if a freaking headless horseman exists. Um, uh, so there's not a giant blood tree in the book, is there? There's not a tree that bleeds? There is not a tree that bleeds. I believe there is a tree that they refer to as, like, the witch tree. Okay. Just because it, like, looks kind of funny and scary. So that's probably where they drew the inspiration for this, for that place. Um, because in the movie, the Headless Horseman emerges from, he was buried near this big tree that's, like, dead and Mm -hmm. wild looking, uh, and he emerges from it. 
whenever he's called and also retreats back into it. But also the tree bleeds when you cut it. Yeah, it was kind of it's, it's gnarly. Grisly, yeah. yeah, it was kind of cool. There's things I, I didn't hate this movie. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. It was a fun like Halloween film. Yeah, okay, but it's also a little like you can't think about it too much. It's like a yeah, little like <laughs> if you try to search for like. It just doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it too hard. But if you just kind of like sit back and watch it, it's like, ah, it's aesthetic and it's fun. Yeah. And like kind of, it's all right. But like, yeah, it's a little under scrutiny. I'm not sure it exactly holds up. Uh, So no blood tree. But there is a tree that they probably drew the inspiration from in in the book. So one of the main components of the film is that whoever steals the head of the horseman from mm-hmm. the grave because they cut his head off and they put his head in his grave when he was buried does whoever takes the head command the horseman that never comes up okay <laughs> so no it doesn't no. um it's, I it's tough to talk about because i don't know what happens in the story so like it does is the horseman is under anybody's control that we know of, or is it just doing its own thing? He's just doing his own thing. Is that just claiming heads? Well, he's looking for heads. Okay. Potentially. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is one of those very loosely inspired by yeah. type of films where they like took the idea and they're like, let's fucking go crazy with it. Well, it's fine. Are there any exploding windmills? So wait, hold on. There is his not. head is his head missing in the book? Yeah, he is headless. So he wasn't. What I mean by that is he wasn't buried with his. We don't. I guess maybe we don't know if he was like buried with his head. Right. We don't know that. We don't know because we again we probably don't get the backstory of the horseman. Mm-mm. Well, like we a little, in, a little bit, but not like we do in the movie. In the movie, which we'll talk about eventually, but um, <laughs> which was probably my biggest problem with the film was the choice for who played the horseman. It's. Very jarring and takes you out of the film immensely. Uh, are there any exploding windmills in this book? There are not any exploding windmills. It's a shame. It would have made the story a lot more exciting. A giant set piece of a windmill. Are there is there a windmill mentioned that you recall? I mean, we don't. Have to I page don't by recall page. there being. But I didn't know if mentioned. maybe that was something. I mean, there probably was a windmill. There somewhere. probably was. It's like a little Dutch it's a little settler town. town yeah. so there's, there's probably a windmill. A, you had a mill, but it's still. I was just okay because there's a big set piece where they're climbing the mill yeah. and they like, jump outside and then it explodes. And at first I was like, why did that explode? But now I can buy it because I can. I, I it's I can take I can I can buy it because it is a mill. I'm right. assuming it's a, a mill that's grinding f- grain of some sort mm-hmm. of flour. And it's actually uh when when uh it's actually a big problem with silos and stuff, if you get too much uh flour slash whatever uh, yes. in the air, it aerosolizes and uh-huh. can cause wicked explosions. So it's actually not outlandish that because he does like throw a lantern down yeah, the yeah, bottom yeah. and some stuff catches and fire. I, I like the implication that like as a man of science, he would know that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I because it, it seems a little ridiculous because they don't do. I don't think the movie does a particularly good job of explaining that's what happened. And if yeah. you didn't know that, you'd be like, why did that? Why did that <laughs> just explode? It was just super flammable. Yeah, because it, it straight up explodes. It doesn't catch fire. It explodes. Yeah. And so I was like, and then I thought I was like, I do remember that. That's a thing that like yeah, there's a big issue with like static electricity and, and fire in grain silos or like mills and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Cause it can cause explosions from basically just rapid combustion of aerosol powder basically. So uh, believable potentially, but it's not in the book. Right. And finally, does crane 
save the day by football throwing <laughs> the headless horseman's head or a head to the horseman. How does he conquer him in the book? Um, How does Crane save the day? Or does he die? I don't remember. Okay, so... <laughs> In the in the short story, whether or not the headless horseman is real is ambiguous. Oh, that would I was hoping that was um, where the movie was going to go, honestly. The the kind of conclusion is that he probably isn't. Okay. But it, it is left a little bit open to interpretation. Um so there isn't any real need for like witches or curses or blood trees or exploding windmills. Right. Crane in the in the short story does not defeat the headless horseman. We don't know what happened to him at the end. Okay. He's disappeared. Crane does? Yeah. Okay. So, but we don't know dependent on whether or not the headless horseman is real. Okay. Right? Was he carried away to hell by the headless horseman or did he get scared by something or someone? And he was so embarrassed that he skipped town. Ah. Okay. I can see. Now, see, that's that's interesting because I was actually hoping that ultimately that was where the movie was going to go. I'm a big fan of those. those I, th- I thought the movie was going to go that way. And no, and it doesn't. I was I was I was hoping the movie was going to go. I'm always a fan of these stories anyways, because I'm just. That's the kind of person I am. But when it, when you set up a world where a lot of people think there's some magical devil about that then it turns mm-hmm. out just to be people and now they kind of try to get the best of both worlds in this one yeah, by having do. the headless horseman be a real magical undead entity but it is controlled and used for very kind of human quote for money basically just yeah. to get money so like i because i was hoping it was going to be oh there's this horseman is killing these people and but ultimately it's it's not you know it's, it's somebody dressed up as a horseman that's not the headless horseman that's the gardener yeah, I, I, i'm a scooby-doo fan i was hoping it was going to be an episode of scooby-doo but like with tim burton <laughs> yeah. on it like i was like that would have been fun to me um i don't hate what they did mm-hmm. i think because you can also do a fun magical like fantasy story yeah. about an actual yeah. and so the what direction they went with it i think works overall and it's kind of fun in its own like spooky halloween way um but i would have liked and i think there's more you can interesting things you can do with characters if it what if it if it is just people if it mm-hmm. is not anything magical going on i also think that works really well in your setup with ichabod crane as like this eternally skeptical person who's you know, when he gets there, he doesn't really buy into the, the whole headless horseman thing, but he very quickly is disillusioned to the fact that, oh, there actually is a freaking headless because yeah. we, um, you know, he, he runs into the, the tree and sees it burst out of the tree. From, yeah. Like, clearly there's something crazy going on here. This isn't a person dressed up in a, you know, a headless horseman costume. Um, but I think it would have been interesting to see the, the, the sort of angle of him as a as a man of science and with this whole town be like, no, it's an actually a a... Uh, this mythical headless horseman killing people and he's just like constantly trying to convince them and you know he has to piece together the puzzle to show them mm-hmm. look it's actually this guy you know like the scooby-doo like i would <laughs> i was i really just would have loved the scooby like headless horseman scooby-doo but like i bet there is with a the aesthetic scooby-doo i'm sure there is guaranteed <laughs> there is uh but with the aesthetic of tim burton and yeah. sort of the same stuff that they do but just kind of none of the actual magical stuff i mean it doesn't surprise me that tim burton took it in that direction yeah, again i think it works and it's fine but yeah i was just kind of yeah it's, yeah it's it's fine they're 
book and the movie are doing two different things. Yes, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I kind of think, it sounds like from what your description, I would I think I would have preferred just kind of going the direction of the book where it's never really clear. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's clear that it wasn't actually a headless horseman, but that it, it could be a little more vague on whether even that would have been fun in the movie if they if it you weren't sure at the end yeah. whether or not yeah. it was actually the person. Maybe you know you figure out that this is who was behind it all for whatever reason, but whether or not it was actually a headless horseman is kind of left ambiguous. Would have been fun too, but whatever. All right, that's all I had for was that in the book. I don't have a lost in adaptation. Uh, because it was nothing really the only things I was confused about were things that are just that I was pretty sure were just in the movie and yeah. like you weren't yeah. going to be able to give me any extra from uh, from the book so I don't really have a lost in adaptation uh, which is where if you're watching along this is this is also the other half of the muggle questions where if you're watching a movie and you're like what does that mean well I don't understand what that is and then the book hopefully has maybe some more perspective yeah, the, the book has some some clarification yes but uh, I didn't really have any questions on in that regard this time so we're gonna skip lost in adaptation this week and go right on to better in the book you like to read oh yes I love to read what do you like to read everything okay so before i get started on better in the book and subsequently better in the movie uh i have a little bit of a a disclaimer of sorts okay um and this is stuff we've kind of touched on already but this is one of those cases where the book and the movie are in just incredibly different beasts yeah and this often happens when we work with short stories where it's very clear that the screenwriters took the basic concepts and in this case, a couple of the characters and yeah. just kind of ran away ran with, with it. it. Yeah. Um, so I only have a couple of things because, it, you know, when they are so different and they're trying to accomplish different things, it's hard to quantify what's better and what's yeah. worse. Worse, yeah. So so take take the, the specific <laughs> word better with a bit of. Yeah, take it, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt this time. <laughs> All right, so uh, better in the book. Um, Brom Bones in the movie looks so incredibly well-bred. Oh, Casper Van Dien's character yeah. in the film. Like, he looks like a, a gentleman or like he's rich. Yes, or... he, my, the, the vibe you get is that, yes, he's like he's the Gaston of yeah. the town, basically. Yeah. From and the film. I mean, I, I guess and he's not not the Gaston in the <laughs> book, but I pictured him more as like a and the way he behaves and the way he's described in the story, he comes off as more of like handsome but rough around the edges, kind of like farm boy type oh, okay. of character. Yeah. Right. So maybe more like uh well yeah, maybe more like uh Wesley from <laughs> Princess Bride or... Like, if Wesley and Gaston had a baby... Okay. That baby would be Brom Bones. Okay. Write that fanfic. (laughs) But, um... Connect those three worlds. (laughs) Wouldn't be that hard, I don't think. But in in the movie, he just looks like a snotty rich guy. And we don't really get to know him No, we don't get to know him. But, yeah, he does definitely kind of just come across as... I don't know. Yeah, he definitely just kind of comes across as. We, okay, I think the bigger problem is we just don't really get much from him. Yeah, we don't see him very much. So it. he just shows up at the beginning to kind of be a jerk, and then we know he's kind of in love with 
yeah katrina and, it's and then interesting that the i don't know it's interesting to me that the movie even bothered with him uh, no, i'm not surprised to kind of add that sort of the tension romantic tension between him and johnny depp and katrina again it's not in there that much because yeah. we're doing a lot of other stuff but i can see why they would include that it's just so little of it whereas in the book he's basically like the primary antagonist really yeah yeah if i mean if we consider ichabod our, our protagonist then he's going head to head with raw hmm. bones yeah because that's not in the movie at all they kind of there's an antagonistic scene early yeah. and then he kind of just be uh, brahm dies halfway through the movie yeah because yeah. and but him and uh ichabod fight the horsemen together yeah and then brahm Which, just dies God, it's strange. Yeah. I, okay yeah <laughs> Um, does Brom die in the book? He does not. Okay. He actually gets the girl. Well, there you go. So it's very different. Yeah. So one thing that the movie kept that I liked was this aspect of Ichabod Crane being like secretly scared of everything. Yeah. Like in the book, he's real superstitious, mm-hmm. but not so much in the movie. No, it's kind of, um, the opposite yeah just and to some extent i mean he he's not like the i, I call him the eternal skeptic but I don't, I don't know if that's the case but he's definitely a bit more leans towards the not believing yeah. and all that kind of yeah. stuff initially and he he's real superstitious in the book and he's also real like scared and skittish but kind of tries to like hide it they captured that in the movie for yeah. sure because he's definitely in the squeamish nature of mm-hmm. him. um one thing that was in the book that I wish I would have. I wish that they would have kept just. It wouldn't have made any sense, I guess, but it would have been funny. Um, so one of Ichabod Crane's most prominent character traits in the book is that he's a bottomless pit. He just like eats everything. Like he just eats and eats and eats. I don't know. I just think it would have been funny <laughs> to have like Johnny Depp just be constantly eating. They and that's a yeah. They would have had to cast Brad Pitt, and then it would have been perfect because Brad Pitt eats in every scene in every movie that he's in. <laughs> so that would have been good. But all right. So my last thing for better in the book um, is a, a big thing that we've talked about already, but that's fine. Uh, so the movie chose to have the headless horseman be real and literal, and that's fine. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a better or worse story. But I can see the argument for that as a more compelling film with it being a visual medium. Yeah. However, I do enjoy the kind of ambiguous ending of the short story. Um, You get a sense of what probably happened. Yeah. And what probably happened was that Brom Bones was dressed up as the Headless Horseman and chased Ichabod out of town. Yeah. So that he didn't have to compete with him for Katrina. Right. Which we get like a scene of that in yeah. the movie. But yeah. where Brom is dressed up as the Horseman. But um, but you don't really know for sure that mm-hmm. that's how it, what happened. Um, And I think ambiguous is a fun way to end a spooky story. Yeah. It, it definitely is. I think that it could, because it trite but the you know the unknown is yeah. often scarier than the known like Ooh, yeah. what happened <laughs> yeah is he real <laughs> he could be behind you right yeah. now all right so that's all i had for better in the book okay so we can move on better in the movie my life has taught me one lesson hugo not the one i thought it would Happy endings only happen in the movies. Again, this was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> They're very, very different stories. 
Um, I think Ichabod Crane as a detective makes sense if you're fleshing the story out. Yeah. Um, his being a school teacher is pretty unrelated to the headless horseman element either which way. Yeah, it doesn't really Yeah, so detective slash constable, that's an interesting change. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I, I it thought makes that was sense. fun. It, in the it, movie. it works thematically, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it gives him a reason to be yeah. kind of investigating what's going on if yeah. he's a, a, essentially a detective sent up there to investigate these murders that have been happening. Right. If they had kept him as the school teacher and kept everything else the same as the movie, he would be one nosy school teacher. Yeah. Does... I guess this is, I should have asked this and was that in the book. Does anybody actually die in the book? No. Are there any decap in no. any decap? Okay, that's interesting. I mean, there's the ambiguous thing about what happened to Ichabod. Right, but there but aren't it, like a series of murders. Oh, no. Okay. That's no. I should have asked and that. Actually, that's a that's, big change. That's my next point on here. <laughs> I think the idea of there having been actual murders is yeah. interesting because in the book, the headless horseman is basically like local lore. Right, it's a myth. It's, it's a, yeah, a, it's a story. story that locals yeah. tell to each other. Um, but the idea of like there having been incidents within recent memory even is interesting. I think. Yeah, yeah, I yeah that I like the the. I think I would have. I will talk about. It. I actually have an idea for what exactly what I would have liked when we get to general discussion. So stick around. Yeah. I have what is the per. In my opinion, would be the perfect Sleepy Hollow film. We'll uh, just get Tim Burton on the phone up in here. No, I don't want Tim Burton. <laughs> I want somebody else. But okay, I, a lot of other people. But I, I, I have a pitch for a Sleepy Hollow film that I think would be really interesting. And they kind of got close with the Tim Burton one, but mm -hmm. they didn't go the direction I wish they would have. All we'll right, talk all about right. It. So stay tuned for that. Um, I thought it was interesting that we had a more fleshed out backstory for the Headless Horseman. Yeah. Um, he is, in the book, he is a, a Hessian, I think they say. Mm -hmm. um, a, a German soldier hired by the British yeah. during the Revolutionary War. So we have like that kind of minimal backstory yeah. in the book. Um, but I, I think the, the fleshed out one was... In the film. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it here because it makes about as much sense as anywhere else. Uh, casting Christopher Walken as the headless horseman pre-headlessness was a <laughs> terrible mistake, in my opinion. He's just not imposing to me. Yeah. Like, he doesn't strike me. When I watch Christopher Walken, and he's, one, he's so, maybe a little less so in 99, but I don't think that's not, oh, not infinitely less so. He's, it's very... Christopher Walken like yeah. you just see Christopher Walken too I think the design of the character in the film is just kind of silly looking in general with the the, the, the teeth the teeth the ground to, to spikes and the weird black hair yeah that's like all feathered and crazy and he just but on top of that to me Christopher Walken doesn't scream and when you watch him walk around he doesn't strike me as like that's a guy as like a feared warrior which right. is like the whole premise well, of who the horseman yeah. was I in mean, the film. I mean I think that the trouble is that he's not a particularly physically imposing. No, like he's kind of tall, but he's yeah, he's not he just doesn't and I guess it's like, the I roles I've seen them in. I I, I don't necessarily believe that he could lob somebody's head off with one yeah, sword swing. Yeah, that's it. That's the thing. It's like he doesn't strike me as like this is the guy that uh, this is the warrior, the 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 swordsman who all of these people feared and he was like the super imposing presence going yeah. around hunting down soldiers and or American soldiers or whatever. Just doesn't like I'm just like when I and then when I see Christopher Walken, I'm just like, 
bad guy? <laughs> Not that guy. I did like this just I don't think they could have picked a worse person if they had tried. I'm sure they could have picked a worse person. I'm sure they could have if they found, but like that was the worst part of the movie for me, honestly, uh-huh. was just because it's kind of super important to like establishing the mythos of this character. It's right. a super serious setup. We get it very early in the movie. Right. Well, and especially if you're going to go with, oh, this is real. This is real and it's this scary, we horrifying thing. We need to believe that he's capable of that. Yes, we need to. The, you're, the reason you're scared of the horseman isn't because it's this spooky thing that we don't know if it does or doesn't exist. It's very much you're scared of it because it's real and he could go yeah. around and hunts people down and cuts their heads off all the time and it's like terrifying. Like that's kind of the angle they went and when I every time I see especially because without a head it's all I can imagine is Christopher walk like <laughs> something about seeing it then after I know it's Christopher Walken I'm still imagining Christopher Walken it almost makes it goofier when I see it without a head walk like stumbling around <laughs> when I know that that was Christopher Walken's head on top of those shoulders it just I imagine like oh wow, wow, wow. like <laughs> like every time he's like stumbling around like or like walking around as the headless horseman all i can hear is like christopher walken's voice being goofy and it just is so not scary it's so weird it's just the worst for me it was the worst possible casting and it took me out of the movie so much um even though i liked a lot else about like this like i said the Uh aesthetic of the film and kind of just overall i thought it worked okay the the walk-in thing was a a nightmare for me (laughs) anyways um I thought giving Ichabod a, a little more backstory was good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe that backstory needed a little... It needed a little more fleshing. A, a little out. more fleshing. Um, but, you know, if you're going to expand on a story, you you need backstory for your yeah. main character. So yeah. that's good. And I think it ties in well with his change to your first better in the movie, him being a detective constable yes. and the whole backstory with his mom and being kind of wrongfully... And, and, it's, and it's at least an attempt to explain why, why he is the way yeah, he is. Yeah. We mentioned it earlier. I thought it was interesting that they played out the end of the short story there for a minute when Brom is dressed yeah. as the headless horseman. Yeah, Brom pranks him, him once, yeah. basically. Pranked. Prank war. Um, and throws a pumpkin at him. That's literally how the story ends. Oh, yeah. Like, if this was a closer adaptation, it would stop there. <laughs> it would end there. Yeah. Ichabod runs away. Um, although it raises some interesting questions about why Brom has a headless horseman contraption. Yeah. Because it is like a contraption. He has like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a crown essentially yeah. that he wears with like a head mount. And yeah, it's a whole thing he had to put together. Because like, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, why wouldn't that make Ichabod suspicious of him? Like, I feel like I would have gone to arrest him immediately Yeah, because he hears that. him laughing and yeah, he realizes, he oh, that him. wasn't the actual He's horseman. Like, you have the costume, dude. <laughs> yeah, because this is before he runs into the bleeding tree yeah. and knows it's like, he should have just went over there and been like, oh, so you're the guy killing all these people. <laughs> you're under arrest. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's weird. All right, movie. Um, I liked that they gave Ichabod a friend. The, oh, the, the little kid. Uh, the kid. Yeah. Oh, that was a fun, fun, That's interesting nice. change. Yeah, is that because the kid whose parents get killed, um, or at least his mom's already been dead, but yeah, his, dad his dad gets, dad killed, gets killed, so he's, he's like an orphan now, and uh, Ichabod kind of takes him, yeah, as his steward or whatever. Um, I like that the movie gave Katrina a personality mm-hmm. and agency. Uh, she is pretty much just an object. In the, in the short story, yeah. which 
I mean, they're all tropes yeah. in the short story. None of them are fully fleshed out, fleshed out three-dimensional yeah. characters. Um, but Katrina, probably a little more so than the others um, in the short story, yeah. has basically no agency. Yeah. So that that was nice. Yeah, she gets a little bit in the movie yeah. to do. Especially with having her kind of doing magic of maybe or maybe not yeah, doing maybe, magic maybe of some sort. Or at least yeah. trying to do magic. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, that was better in the movie. We're going to do our general discussion where I'm going to pitch a much, much better version of Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And then we're going to get to our final verdict. Why are Tim Burton's period pieces always gray washed? I I don't know how many period pieces he's done, but he, he his films are always very they they have an aesthetic. He goes yeah. for a very um, specific w- <laughs> choice with how he he color grades his films. I was thinking specifically the way that this looked reminded me very strongly of Sweeney Todd. Yes, and even yeah. to some degree, Corpse Bride. Yeah, and, and I think the idea behind that would be because Sweeney Todd is this is set in New England, but Sweeney right. Todd is set in England, right? Yeah, like, like London. London. So there, I think part of it is you're trying. He's trying to. It's just again, look at look at Tim Burton. That's just what he is. But <laughs> like he's like your he's like every goth emo yeah. like kid ever, in, in but like talented, and he. Uh, I think part of it is it's. It's a very specific choice because he wants to capture sort of the dreariness, especially in these type of films, in Sweeney Todd and in Sleepy Hollow. It's mm-hmm. it's a visual way to depict the dreary nature of London yeah. or of this little kind of weird hamlet in uh, New England to where it's kind of just gray and rainy and cold and mm-hmm. gross. They're usually during like, you know, fall or winter. Yeah. It's just sort of everything's gray. Uh, and then th- that's sort of the just sets the aesthetic of and is the backdrop for his p- stories to play out in front of is just sort of a gray scale uh, with a splash of red. Yeah. Every now and then. Yeah. I, I think that's part of it, too, is that it's it, the contrast then of when he does choose to bring color in. Yeah. It's more striking against. The, right, right. Right. Yeah. Against the gray background. So. I don't know. I thought it was it was interesting to me because a lot of his stuff looks like that, and then a lot of his stuff is like way over the top colorful. Yeah, like cranked up to a million colorful. Yeah, like Alice in Wonderland or Charlie and the Chocolate Charlie and Factory. Chocolate Factory yeah. So, so I, he he has yeah he has kind of two speeds. Yeah, I mean because yeah another one you can put in the in the gray back or the gray pool is um to some extent is uh. But it, this one goes both ways, which is really interesting. Is oh, I think I know what you're Edward Scissorhands, yeah. where half of it is super kind of gray, and uh, but then the other half, when you get into suburbia, is right. like the bubblegum. So there's a contrast yeah. there. Yeah, and yeah. I think that it's just an aesthetic choice, and it's it's one of the things I'll say about it is that it's it's I like it at times, but it's definitely easy to sort of be tired of it. Mm-hmm. Not tired of it, but so much as like. It's, is is it that interesting if you do it in every movie? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get yeah. what you're going for when you do it. And I, I, I'm i not saying it's ineffective. But if you do that in every movie. Yeah. Is that you paint with a different palette or something? You know what I mean? Like, kind of do something else. Yeah. I mean, to me. And like, again, I, he does I get different it. things. I but. get it. I get why he does it. 
like I get what it's supposed to do for us as the viewer. Yeah. To me, I'm I'm gonna throw some shade at Tim Burton here. Um, maybe it's just because I have seen him and others do it so often. It seems like very student film. It's to not me. not that's the thing. It's 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 a very obvious mm-hmm. um way to sort of establish the character of your setting mm-hmm. is to make it a certain palette. Yeah. To so be like, look, we're in New England, it's gray. Get it? Because it's cold and it's and in this instance, it's kind of creepy and it's he's the outsider and he doesn't belong here and it's 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 off putting and it's dreary and yeah. like it's this, you know. But yeah, you can do that. There's a lot of different ways to do that. And one of the ways that's kind of easy and obvious is just make everything gray. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with it sometimes, but I know yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Okay. All right. In the very beginning, when we were first going into Sleepy Hollow, there was a shot of a scarecrow with a pumpkin on its head, and there was a fire lit inside the pumpkin. Why would you light a scarecrow on? That's the worst idea I've ever heard of. In the middle of your crop? Yeah, terrible idea. Terrible, terrible idea. You are asking for trouble, sir. Again, a lot of times uh, Tim Burton does things for the aesthetic, quote unquote, (laughs) and not for uh, you to think about, per se. (laughs) Well, I will think about them. (laughs) Can't stop me. Um, I just have like a bunch of random notes. Let's talk about this. This is here's my pitch for the better version of this movie. Okay. One thing I realized right away really early, this movie is basically and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. This movie is basically Hot Fuzz. Yes. Kind of. And that's my pitch for the better version of this movie is to just make it Hot Fuzz. But make it make it Sleepy Hollow but have the story cuz it sets up like Hot Fuzz. Where it's this upstart detective and they send him to this little town to deal with Mm -hmm. because they don't really want to deal with him in the big city because he's like kind of annoying. Like he's like, he's uh, they're like, we don't want to deal with your like because in the movie in this in in Sleepy Hollow, he's got all these big ideas about how we need to change the justice system and like this sort of thing in in um Hot fuzz. It's because he's just making them all look bad because he's yeah. too good of a it's cop. Like, you're too much. You're too yeah. Just go. You're gonna send you to this tiny hamlet, and you're just gonna stay out there. And then ultimately, it's crime breaks out there. I think what would be cool is this exact setup they had in this movie. And then when he gets there, and this would kind of follow more along with the book. Mm-hmm. These murders are happening. Everybody in the town is like, no, it's this headless horseman. It, mm-hmm. That you know, it's the story that they've had in their neighborhood for a long time. And he's like, sort of figuring it out. And he's like, no, it's this and this. And maybe he gets it wrong a few times and accuses the wrong people, kind of like in in Hot Fuzz. Or uh, he doesn't really accuse the wrong people, but he he doesn't have it all sorted out exactly right. right. But ultimately, it is just a handful, maybe a handful of people in the village, which is kind of the misdirect they they make you think in this movie. I just wish they'd followed through with it, and it ends up being like like Hot Fuzz, where mm-hmm. it's like a handful of people in the town are just like k- killing people to keep secrets and like... To, yeah. To, and maybe, yeah. And now, it's not Hot Fuzz, and they're not killing people to preserve the crime, that their, their pristine town, and, and make it so that it's the world's best town. But that they're killing people for some nefarious reason. Maybe it is something plot to do with money like they set up in the thing where mm-hmm. somebody's they're going to try to get money from somebody's will, and then they have to kill these people. But 
just have it ultimately be that it is this group of four or five people or however many that are all kind of separately pretending to be the horsemen because they even kind of do this in Hot Fuzz where there's one person in a hood who's killing people. Yeah. That's the horseman, but it's never the same person we find out. He thinks it's this guy. He thinks that, you know, Ichabod Crane's like, oh, it's it's Brom or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's not Brom. Maybe it was Brom one time, but a different time it wasn't Brom. It was somebody else. And then that's so it gets confused. Basically, Hot Fuzz, but change <laughs> what the what, what why they're killing people. Change that reason. Make it not quite as funny as Hot Fuzz or as funny. I mean, do whatever you want. And uh, but basically just hot fuzz, I think would be the a really because then it sticks. It's actually closer to the book to some extent mm-hmm. in terms and you can kind of let it end ambiguous. But it's also uh, like I said, they kind of almost got there with this movie. They're kind of going that direction. And to me, it's just like and but actually uh, headless. But yeah, but actually witches, but actually headless. So. Uh, Christopher Walken. Yes, is, is the is killing everybody. So, I don't know. I, I think they could have... I think just make Hot Fuzz, but sit, make it Sleepy Hollow is... <laughs> would be an amazing film. I think it would be really fun, but Sleepy Hot Fuzz would be my pitch Sleepy for... Hot <laughs> for how That's to make... better than the Fuzzy Legend of Hollow. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, wait. Now, who do you want to direct it? Oh, who do I want to direct it? I mean, the, the easy the easy answer is Edgar Wright, and I would never right. say no to Edgar Wright directing any film ever, because he, he is the most talented <laughs> director in the game today. Uh, go ahead and at me. But no, I wouldn't say necessarily. I wouldn't want Tim Burton, uh, but I think he could do it. Um, you know who might be fun? Mm. Uh, well, I'm trying. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of different people we, you could do. You know what would be really fun, because I think he could do it, and it would be it would it would be. Here's the thing, because I think he could do. I think it could be almost as funny as a Hot Fuzz film, and I think he could do the action. He could do the the the, the sort of mystery, and and it would not and have it and 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 I can pick somebody that's not Edgar Wright to do it. Taika Waititi would be my person mm, to direct this film. Yeah. He's worked somewhat in the he, with what we did in the shadows. Sort of, uh, there's not, a, but he there's some some elements of what we do in the shadows that could translate mm-hmm. to sort of the the humor with like these weird old tiny yeah. people. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then mix that with sort of uh, being able to direct a bigger budget type mm-hmm. of film like Thor Ragnarok or you know some of the other Hunt for the that's not really a big budget, but Taika Waititi my choice rewrite. Sleepy Hollow, but literally follow the plot points almost point for point of Hot Fuzz and then change all the jokes and everything. Right, I think it's well, a brilliant. Hollywood, I, I think that's Hollywood how you remake. comes out with this now. I think that's how you remake Legend of you Sleepy thought Hollow. Of it first. I think that's how you do we it. We have the evidence. I think that's how you do it. I think it would be brilliant. But I'm so glad that we got to have Dumbledore explain things to us still. Oh god, we can't movie. get away from it. Even in the, when we're taking a break from Harry Potter, we still have freaking Dumbledore stand there and exposit things about <laughs> witches at us <laughs> or whatever. Not witches, but about. Um, but he tells us he tells the, the horseman tale. horseman backstory. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, great. Dumbledore standing in front of a fireplace telling us <laughs> what what happened. Telling us everything we need to know. Boy, this is like Michael Gambon's calling in life, apparently. <laughs> but speaking of the Headless Horseman's backstory, though, 
probably my favorite part of this movie. So when the Headless Horseman, before he gets beheaded, he's running away from the soldiers and he is going through the trees and he happens upon these two creepy little girls. Yes. Who we find out later are the witches, the, but we, yeah. we don't know that at this point. Yeah. And he sees them. They're like gathering sticks for firewood. <laughs> yeah. And he makes a sh motion yeah. at them. And this little girl looks, no chill. looks him dead in the <laughs> eyes and snaps the stick. Fucking no <laughs> chill. Push me again, bitch. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. She has absolutely no time for him. She's like, yeah, you can tell me what to do. <laughs> Break the stick. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty great. I, we watch a kid get murdered in this movie, yeah. but we don't see it. I thought that was weird. I wasn't expecting that, and I because they don't. I feel like they set it up so that he goes in and he kills the mid the, the midwife and the midwife's husband in the mm -hmm. town, and then their son is hiding under the floorboards, and he the horseman comes back and grabs and pulls the kid out of the floorboards, and then it cuts outside. Yeah, and he's like putting something in a bag, and I'm like, did he just put that whole kid in a bag? Uh, but then that's when the fight breaks out between Brahm and Ichabod and yeah. and the horsemen. So we never see what happened. But I but I we, guess we're to assume that well, he cut that kid's that head kid off. Again. Yeah, we never see that kid again. And when uh, when Katrina's stepmother then at the end, like who turns out to be the main villain, villain yeah. is monologuing. Um, she tells us that the the midwife found out about one of her secrets. Yeah. And told her husband in front of their kid. Yeah. So which I guess the implication, so the being, implication being that now she has to kill all three of them. Yeah. Even though the kid was like two years old two and years old, probably clearly didn't had know no what idea what they were talking, they were talking about. about or anything. He's just a little kid. Like, but he sure, had, kill that kid. Yeah. That kid I mean, murdered. you're evil. So this is one of the other problems with the movie, I thought in general, was that. There's never really a reason, and it's kind of a it's it's for the conceit of the film. But there's not really a reason in the movie for uh, whatever the stepmother's name is mm -hmm. to use the horseman to kill everybody because we, there is it's a great idea if that if if the horseman does all the killings and she does that to kind of keep her yeah you know her name out of it so she doesn't have you know she, so nobody has any suspicion of her being in behind yeah. any of this stuff but we also have all these flashbacks at the end of the movie where she's explaining her whole plan where we watch literally her just walk around and murder people with axes several times yeah. she kills uh that the maid girl or whatever mm -hmm. and she kills her sister witch in the woods yeah by herself with an axe well and here's the other thing too that i didn't get so she is having the horseman kill all these people because she wants to basically inherit all of the town's money. Yes. Like she's managed to finagle all of these last will and testaments. So Just that, one, I thought, but yeah. Well, she, I thought she had did something with like the other families so that the money was going to go, going to be funneled here. It, and was, then, it was something, it was the one family that died their money was going to go to, they had it so that their will sent their money to a Baltus. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Von, what was it? What was it? Von Tassel. Von Tassel. Um, and then he ends up dying. So right. then the money goes to Katrina, the daughter, but then if she's dead, it goes right. to the stepwife. Okay. Or the stepmother. Regardless. 
So her plan is to eventually legally inherit all of this money, right? From all now, these people right, dying. Now that Literally, she's like, dozens of all people the wills. So why would she fake her own death? How the fuck can she inherit all this money if oh, she's yeah. dead? That's a good question. It's a really good question. Because, yeah, she absolutely pretends to be dead. Yeah. Maybe, okay, I'll give it this. Maybe the idea is that she takes this will, but yeah, but then because the town, she would have to kill the whole town or something. Because I'm like, okay, well, maybe she, oh boy, oh, that's problematic. Um, Well, not not like, quote unquote, not hashtag problematic, but just like story-wise problematic. But um, I'm sure it's probably problematic in some way. Uh, She, okay, because yeah, my thought was, well, maybe she takes the will and mm-hmm. somehow has her certificate what you know some sort of identification mm-hmm. that is like that's who i am so it's that maybe she takes it to, to a different town and like goes to like a somebody to execute the will because yeah she's dead well yeah. she's not but she's but she, according to all the people she she's is, dead yeah. and she did she get the money yet that we didn't see her no. like ever get no, the money at that point because katrina's, katrina's still alive, still alive. She hasn't even tried to kill Katrina yet when she I would have to rewatch that scene to see if that makes any sense. If there was a line of dialogue that we missed that like somehow I don't know, the whole like ending scene I I wouldn't talk about it in a minute, but I also in this movie was a shot of a cardinal sitting on a tree branch and holy shit, it was the fakest bird I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I did not notice that. Oh my god. It was the fakest fake bird. But also I thought it was interesting that they used cardinals. That's not in the book. uh, Because in some folklore traditions, the sight of a cardinal means that a deceased loved one is checking in on you. So I thought that was potentially an interesting uh, nod. Or maybe Tim Burton just wanted the color red. Who knows? Yeah, probably that. Probably just wanted (laughs) something red. I was like, cardinals. Uh, The only other note I had was that two things. One, we both laughed out loud when Ichabod Crane chucks the skull to the Headless Horseman. So the, the, the big final showdown happens and the stepmother's there and Katrina's there and there's a stagecoach chase. It all kinds of nonsense happens. Ultimately, they get to the tree. Ichabod Crane gets the skull from the stepmother yeah. and throws it to the Headless Horseman to give it back to him so then maybe like he'll stop because because he's following the stepmother's commands because she has his head basically, um, but the moment where the 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 way it is happens on screen where he throws the skull and then the horseman catches it is the stupidest look at, like it I it just looks so silly. See, There's no better was, way to describe was another it. Another kind of issue that I had with this movie overall was that I felt like the the tone was kind of uneven. Like, a lot of the time it was, like, serious, kind of, and, like, scary and atmospheric, and then other times, like, you were football throwing the skull to the headless horseman, or, like, the witch's eyes pop out of her head like a cartoon. Yeah, it it definitely, it it, it was Tim Burton's tone, which is, it, it rides that line, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Overall, I thought it worked pretty well, but that one particular moment where she throws the skull just really <laughs> struck out to me as like, huh, okay, that's, yep. And then he, like, 
bites her lips off? I don't know. He does have a great moment, and I thought this was really cool, where he does they they do a reverse Indiana Jones head melt, yeah. which was kind of gnarly, where his all of his tissue and stuff grows back, and it looks really cool. And I was like, that's pretty sweet, because um, it's literally like the exact opposite of when everybody's heads melt at the end yeah. of uh, the first Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> It's also just originally, I believe it was just called Indiana Jones, and then they added the. Mm. I believe the subtitle was added once other ones came out, but I could be wrong. Kind of like Star Wars. Yeah, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what it was. It was not called Indiana Jones. It was called Raiders of the Lost oh. Ark, and then this is like a Rambo First Blood thing. <laughs> um, when they made a sequel. They switched it to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And then since since then, Raiders of the Lost Ark has kind of been culturally. I don't even know if they officially changed it, but it's culturally known as Indiana Jones Mm. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it's just called Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think I'm good on notes unless you have anything else you want to talk about. Well, I'll I'll say this here. I I technically have this in my final verdict section, but I think it fits better here. Um, All right. So uh, for what it is, I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, me too. Uh, like I said, they they kind of took the concept and just ran with it. Yeah. And I don't think that they did a bad job. Um, a lot of the changes they made make sense, given that they wanted the Headless Horseman to definitely be real. Be real, yeah. I think my biggest complaint overall was that I thought the the plot line with the witches and Katrina's stepmother, I thought it was kind of convoluted and yeah, clumsily it was. done. I, I agree, it was a little clumsy. Um, like I, I get that they needed some reason for the Headless Horseman to be running about, slashing people's heads off. But to me, it was kind of hard to follow. Yeah, it was a little tough to follow. And I agree. it resulted in one, a very tiresome villain monologue. Yes. And two, an ending that came out of nowhere. Yeah. I agree. Um, like to me, it almost felt like maybe there were rewrites late in the game, it and does they were feel like, like that. "Ah, we'll just do this." Yeah, and then we'll just have her monologue and explain everything. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it definitely felt a little bit like that. Uh, but yeah, because I had the same thing where I'm like, "Ah, oh, this generally works." It's a, like we said earlier: if you don't think about it too hard, yeah. you just kind of like sit and enjoy it and eat popcorn and like, "Woo, Halloween!" <laughs> like, "Woo!" Then yeah, it works fine. But yeah, it's. It's not, it's not yeah, the tightest if, script that's ever been. Once you start thinking about it even a little, it's kind of like, ah. Yeah, it's not the world's tightest works. script, that's for sure. All right, let's do it. Final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. All right. Um, both the short story and the movie are good and entertaining for what they are. Um, In the past, for adapted short stories, I've typically gone with the movie because I enjoyed the way that the movie fleshed out the story and or the characters. Mm -hmm. Now, while that's not necessarily untrue of this movie, I'm not really comfortable awarding better status because (laughs) of those things. Um, For one, the movie didn't really flesh out the plot so much as take it in a completely different direction. Yeah. And the movie did flesh out the characters, But I don't consider that a failing of the short story because they didn't need fleshing out within that medium. Yeah. And it's it's difficult to judge because they are so fundamentally different. But I'm going to go with the short story, uh, mostly on the grounds that when it really is neck and neck like this, I feel like it's most fair to concede to the original. Yeah. Um, There wouldn't be a movie without the book. So So the book's better. Eat it. (laughs) That's a fair. But again, 
Comparing two things that are so fundamentally different is like deciding if an apple is better or worse than an orange. Yeah. Uh, you can't really compare the two objectively in any way. So in the end, it just comes down to personal taste. So if you guys disagree with me, feel free to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but luckily, this is a short story. So if you want to pass your own judgment, that's pretty easy to do. Mm -hmm. um, it is in the public domain, so you can find it online in its entirety. Or you can listen to our friends' stories of your and your SYY podcast. Again, their Legend of Sleepy Hollow episode drops on October 31st, and you'll be able to hear that original story in its entirety. Well, there you go. Tally one more up for the written word. Before we go, as always, you can find us on every single social media platform that exists, but that's not true, but most of them, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads. Uh, we have a subreddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash this film is lit. Pretty much everything main, uh, main, yeah, main social media platforms. Next, uh, next time we're doing the prequel to the 34th episode, I believe is the number. Yes. And that will be our preview of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yes. Uh, and we'll do something else in there with our learning things segment. I'm not sure exactly what yet, but we'll... It'll be our prequel up, or do we know? Uh, yeah, no, oh. I, I don't. I don't know yet. No. Okay, um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna power through the rest of Harry Potter. Yes, two more. Yeah, we well, three more have, episodes on Harry Potter. Yeah, we're gonna divide uh, Deathly Hollows into, into the two films, into the two films, yeah. um, and give each of them their own episode. Because holy lord, that would be a long podcast. Yes. Um, we're gonna we're gonna power through the rest of that. So this has been our last break. Yes. In Harry Potter, we'll be wrapping it up and then moving on to new and different yeah. and interesting things. Um, by the time we're done with Harry Potter, we will be ready to start talking about Christmas. Christmas stuff. That's that time of the year again. So there you go. That is what is on the docket for the very foreseeable future the near future until next time oh also go rate us on stuff review <laughs> us gosh darn it itunes stitcher wherever you download us give us five stars and uh share us around if you if you're liking our podcasts and you know recommend us to people if not then don't that's fine too until next time guys gals non-binary everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and keep being awesome awesome